Yeah. The Flathead's only local sports talk show. The Knock on Sports. Six to eight weeknights. Only on 96.5 and 600 KGEZ. Here's your host, Anthony Knockreiner. Elite Eight games going on right now, and former University of Montana basketball player as well as head coach Wayne Tinkle in a little bit of trouble as Houston leads 34-17 over 12th seed Oregon State. And so Wayne Tinkle and the Beavers are going to have to come up with some big-time comeback magic in the second half. But joining me right now to break it all down and what he saw in Indianapolis during his time at the NCAA tournament, good friend of the show, Colter Nuanez, host of Nuanez now on ESPN Missoula, as well as owner and operator of SkylineSportsMT.com. Colter, great to chat with you once again, man. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Another interesting tie this first Elite Eight game as well. Kelvin Sampson, head coach for Houston, he began his career as a graduate assistant at Michigan State under Judd Heathcote, who was former Montana head coach. And uh, Samson was a graduate assistant on that 1979 team that Magic Johnson led to the uh, NCAA tournament title. And then Kelvin Sampson went to Montana Tech, head coach in Butte, Montana, 1981 to 1985. So tons of Montana ties throughout the NCAA tournament. But pretty cool to see two guys with Montana ties, the winner go to the Final Four no matter what. Well, I was about to say, Coulter, let's go back a couple of weeks ago. I know uh, you know, it was two weekends ago, which feels like a long time considering today. Uh, but you were in Indianapolis. You were taken in the first and the second rounds of the NCAA tournament. I know you had a chance to see some members of the Tinkle family as well. Uh, what's this like? Because I know a lot of people in Montana are taking great pride, not only in what the Tinkle family is doing and what Coach Wayne Tinkle has done with Oregon State on this magical run. But as you mentioned, Kevin Sampson as well was strong ties in Montana. Yeah, I mean, Indianapolis was an amazing experience. Uh, we got to take in 14 games in four days. Uh, we got to watch games in all the, the various arenas. Hinkle Fieldhouse on the Butler campus is, is certainly one of the most amazing uh, and, for lack of a better word, haunted venues I've ever been to. I mean, you can feel the spirits inside that place. It's just so historic and uh, such a reverence for history, the mural on the first floor of all the great players and coaches in Butler history. It's, it's awesome. It's just really well done. I mean, people that know, they know that uh, people in the state of Indiana, they love their basketball about as much as anything. And so I thought the Pacers arena was, was super impressive as well. They just did a huge, more than a hundred million dollar renovation on that thing. I should, I should say a couple hundred million dollars of renovation. And uh, so I thought that the experience was awesome. The fact that there's only 25% capacity at every game, it actually made it so that we could sit pretty close pretty much everywhere. And there was not really the hassle of, you know, if you want to go get a hot dog or a beer or whatever, you didn't really have to wait in line. So that part was pretty cool as well. Uh, but also, I mean, it's just a, a tournament filled with rich storylines. And I didn't really realize it until I was prepping for my show today. But the NCAA tournament, when it first rose to great prominence in the late 50s and early 1960s, was utterly dominated by teams in the Western United States, particularly UCLA. We know the great run that John Wooden led UCLA on, winning you know close to a dozen championships. And then in the 70s, it was sort of the Midwestern teams that dominated the day, Indiana, Michigan State. But then since 1980, there's only been a handful of teams from out west that are even made it to the Final Four. Uh, I think that USC's been once, Arizona's been a couple times, um, Oregon's been once, Gonzaga's been once, 
and that's it. And so right now we have three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. We got, uh, and then you have Gonzaga as well. And so there's going to be a real spot for a team from out west to actually make some noise and, and maybe even take home an NCAA title. And so that itself is cool. That's going to make the connections always even better as well because, uh, you know, we're out west. So it, you're, you're going to have a more natural tie to a lot of um, – people that are, that are represented for those schools. But the tickle angle is so fascinating because Wayne himself is actually not from Montana. He's from Spokane. But his family, they made their home here for so long. His wife, Lisa, is from Fairfield. All three of his kids went to all their high school in Missoula. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're Montanans for sure. And it's just amazing to think that the last time the Big Sky Conference got a win in the NCAA tournament back in 2006, Larry Kristoviak led the Grizzlies on that, that run, and, and they beat Nevada. That's the last time a Big Sky team's won a tournament game. That in itself is fascinating. Longest drought of any conference in America. But then when Eric Stoviak took the, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks job and left Montana, then there's a lot of people that were thinking, oh, man, is, is Wayne Tinkle, this, this career assistant who had worked for Don Olson, Pat Kennedy, and Kristoviak, is he ever going to be able to, to take the reins and lead um, the, the uh, Grizz to the, to the highest heights? Can he hack it? And now it's amazing to think that here we are some 15 years later, and Larry Kristoviak's on the outs at Utah, and Wayne Tickle's on the doorstep of the Final Four. So I think the long-winded way of saying that Wayne Tickle's worked really, really hard to be in this position, win, lose, or draw tonight. It's an awesome story for people in Montana, and it was one of my favorite parts of going out there because we did get to watch Oregon State twice. I was able to say hi to Coach Tinkle, and so um, all that all that was cool. And, and just, just the beginning of what was a, a really awesome experience all the way around. Coulter, I asked Riley this question because, I mean, when you get a chance to go out there and you get a chance to do what you did, you got to be able to take in some of the local cuisine. you got to find those hole-in-the-wall places that have the great food that not everybody knows about. Did you find one of those places during your time there? Yeah, I will say the only part about the trip that was a little bit lackluster was the food part, but that's only because Riley Corcoran is – uh, he is one of the most organized people I've ever met. And so we had a full itinerary for the day ready to go every game we were going to go to. And a lot of times it did not involve food. And uh, <laughs> so my offensive lineman self was, was quite hungry for much of the trip. Uh, but we did eat a lot of brats and stuff. But one night, though, we did find one spot that was so good. We were on our way up to Hinkle Fieldhouse for the first evening game up there. We are going to watch Villanova versus Winthrop. And uh, we ate at this place called Bone and Broth. And the gal who was the executive chef there, she had won Hell's Kitchen, I think, two years ago. So that, that was a good one. That was a great find. And uh, that was probably the best meal we had there for sure. But other than that, it was a lot of uh, a lot of Polish sausages from the stands. But, hey, if you're watching basketball live in person as your job, I think I can't really complain. Yeah, fair enough. I was about to say, Coulter, one other aspect, whether it be show-related, your time there, I know you, you do a lot of work as well, but what was another aspect, being there, getting a chance to be in Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament, catching all those games, what was another fun story, something that's going to be, that's going to stay with you for that trip? Well, I, if you don't mean, and I know I've talked about this on your show before, I'm a huge NBA junkie. I love the NBA, I love the history of the NBA, I love the NBA draft, and I thought it was really fun watching and comparing and contrasting some of the top prospects in this next year's draft. Got to see Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State, the outstanding freshman who's projected as the number one pick. Got to see Evan Mobley from USC, whose stock continues to rise, especially after USC's great 
win yesterday. He's projected as number two pick. Got to see Jalen Suggs and Corey Kisper from Gonzaga. Both those guys are projected first round, probably top ten picks as well, and a variety of other guys as well. Watching Luca Garza in person was good as well. It was a, it was a, a dichotomy though for me watching Garza because. Garza scored 39 points in the Iowa's loss to Oregon. He himself was tremendous offensively. Oregon exploited him quite a bit on the defensive end. And I left the arena thinking to myself, two things. One, that might be the best college player I've ever seen, and that guy has no chance to make it in the NBA. And that, and that in itself shows you just how hard it is to make it in the league, but also the specific skill sets that you have to have. But I thought watching Oregon – was fun just because, you know, I do have some uh, direct ties there. I mean, Brian Fish was a guy I got to know pretty well when he was at Montana State, and he had spent previously his time at Oregon, and he'd worked for Dana Altman for so many years. So just listening to, you know, I gave Fish a call before the game, so get kind of the inside scout on Oregon. Uh, that was fun. I mean, all the upsets was obviously super cool. But more than anything, I think that just the city of Indianapolis and the, the passion of the people for sports and specifically basketball was probably the thing that stood out to me the most. I mean, every person we talked to, whether they were an Uber driver or uh, you know a, wait, a waiter or a waitress at a at the restaurant or an usher or whatever, everybody was engaged in the tournament. Everybody had thoughts about basketball. Everybody that we told that we were in sports media, they thought it was so cool. And we had we had people all around Indianapolis listening to us on the live stream because every time I would. Uh, uh, we would get out. I always tell them, hey, you can listen to our show live just on the link or whatever, just like you have too, Anthony. And and so I know we had some guys listening in, at least for the time we were there. So the hospitality probably of Indianapolis, that was the thing that stood out the most. That was probably the best part. I uh, was definitely on my bucket list next time I ever get a chance to go out there. I got to try it myself. Colton Juarez joining us right now on the Whitefish Credit Union Hotline. We'll turn our attention from college basketball to college football in the spring. We'll get Coulter's thoughts on Montana and Montana State football next. Think about where you were one year ago today. What were you planning for? Whether or not you planned for a new challenge, you got it. And most importantly, you succeeded. Cooking at home, learning at home, and banking at home. At Whitefish Credit Union, we understand you've been through a lot. And as you move through the year, just know we'll be right there at your side. This year, next year, and always. Whitefish Credit Union. Subject to membership eligibility. We're talking with Colton Juanez, host of Nuanez Now on ESPN Missoula. Check out his show, 4 to 6 p.m., as well as owner and operator of SkylineSportsMT.com. Does a fantastic job covering the Big Sky Conference, as well as much more. And, uh, Coulter, uh, let's break this down, man. Obviously, let's, and I know it's easy to go to, uh, but at the same time, it is the most fascinating, I think, when you look at the quarterback position from the realm of how these two institutions are going about it. When you look at what University of Montana is doing, I don't feel like there's any, uh, there's not a lack of confidence for me that I think Cam Humphrey's going to do a great job. They, Montana, they seem to be able to develop quarterbacks, no question. So it's interesting to me. I think the, the real question at the quarterback position for Montana is who's going to back him up. And then at Montana State, as we've known year after year after year, who's going to start there? And I'm kind of curious your thoughts here. Tommy Malott, a Montana product. Chris Brown, obviously not from Montana, but did some great things with Bozeman. I think those are two guys that are, I think, very intriguing intriguing to me to watch during these quarterback battles in one form or fashion. It's been a while since we've had Montana kids that started that quarterback for the Montana schools. Jake Buskin was a a part-time starter when Dakota Prukop got hurt back during the 2014 season at Montana State. 
other than that, all of Montana's state's great quarterbacks uh, of this last uh, generation, you know, Travis Lule, Daenerys McGee, Dakota Brookhout, those guys were all out-of-state guys. Um, at Montana, honestly, the two guys, the two times Montana won the national championship, it was both with quarterbacks from Montana. You could say that's a coincidence or not, but I definitely think, regardless if it's a coincidence or not, it definitely raises your level of, of intrigue and interest in your program around the state if you have a Montana guy. Then it leads you to the highest heights like Dave Dickinson did for uh, the Grizzlies in 95 or John Edwards did for the Grizz in 2001. Those guys will be interesting to watch. Um, in terms of the Grizz and their quarterback battle, uh, I think that I don't think they would have brought in two transfers, nor do I think that they would be hyping up Chris Brown like they are if they thought Cam Humphrey was the surefire starter. That said, I think that that's always how Bobby Houck wants to roll. Bobby Houck has a quarterback competition every year no matter what. The only guy I ever knew uh, during Coach Houck's first seven years here that was the entrenched starter entering the second season he was the starter was Craig Oaks, a uh, transfer from Colorado, who led Montana to the 2004 National Championship game. Other than that, I mean, even my roommate in college, Cole Berkowitz, was a guy that went in and out of the starting lineup. He started as a freshman. They brought in a transfer to start over him as a sophomore. Then he won it back his junior year and then won it again his senior year and ended up you know, winning multiple big second championships, but ended up going to the National Championship as a senior. Uh, but even he had to battle for his job. So it's not uncommon that Houck brings in guys to, tr- to challenge – um, incumbents, even if they do have uh, experience. I mean, he's, he's already done this since his return here, too, right? I mean, he brought in both Dalton Sneed and um, Cam Humphrey to challenge Gress Jensen. Then when Gress Jensen left, you know, th- then they still had a quarterback competition between Sneed and Humphrey. So I don't think it's quite Humphrey's job yet. I do think he has a little bit of a, uh, a leg up, but not, not maybe as much as you might think. I think it really comes down to what is your overall goal and how good you think the rest of your team is. Bobby Alg is trying to redefine the expectations at Montana to not just be perennially good and perennially in the playoffs, but to be perennially national championship favorites. Not just contenders, but favorites. That's what Bobby Alg wants, national championship favorites, year in and year out. Well, if your team is really, really good, then Cam Humphrey can be a part of a team that is a national championship favorite. If your team's just good, though, and you need a quarterback to get you over the top, I don't know if Humphrey is that guy that is exceptional yet to get you to that full national championship contender level. And so because of that, I think that's the other reason why they're opening it up. I will not be surprised if Chris Brown makes a run at this thing. He is a prototype. Uh, He's got a big, strong arm. He's a big, strong guy. And I think that they really like him internally as well. And I think they like the prospect of maybe having a guy that could guide the program for several years. And the fact that he's from Montana makes it intriguing. On the other side, Brent Vegan at Montana State, has been adamant about the fact that they're not going to necessarily install systems as much as they're going to build systems around the personnel that they have in place. So that said, then, you're not having a quarterback competition for a guy that can run your stuff the best as much as you're just figuring out who you think is the most talented guy and then building the system around him. If that's the case, then I think you need to understand and you need to define what you want to do. Matt McKay, the the junior, or the, excuse me, the, uh, the NC State transfer, He's going to be a guy that can run the ball a lot better than Tucker Rovick or Casey Bauman. Tommy Malott gives you an element of mobility as well. So basically, if you want to have a mobile quarterback, you want to have some zone read elements in your offense, then I think the competition would be between Matt McKay and Tommy Malott. If you want to go with the prototype, you know, pocket passing, six foot five to six foot seven quarterback, 
then I think the competition is between Bob and, and Rovick. When you talk about those two guys, though, that's a dichotomy within itself because Casey Bauman, in my opinion, is a lot more talented than Tucker Rovick. That said, he's not a lot, he's not a lot better at quarterback. In fact, Rovick's much more polished, much better at managing a game. I just think Bauman has real-deal talent. He's just really, really raw, raw in his decision-making. I mean, he's got a big-time arm. I mean, he's got he's got a, seriously like an elite arm in terms of his, his um, arm talent, but – he he has he, he can't he's proven that he has he's only got a couple shots but he has not been able to function at a high level within games so I think the one in Montana is a lot more open I think the fact that they have I think if they were running the same system as they run the last couple of years Tucker Rovig would for sure have a, a leg up on everybody but the fact that they might just be building a system around whoever they think is the most talented well then it's, it's you're talking about which talents do you like and I do think the most talented guys on their roster uh, in terms of quarterbacks are Matt McKay and Tommy Mallott, and then maybe Casey Bobbin. But, again, I think it's wide, wide, wide open uh, in Bozeman, and so we'll see. I think it really comes down to who gels most quickly with Brett Vegan, who is doing a lot of work with the quarterbacks, as well as Taylor Housewright, the new offensive coordinator. Coulter, we'll finish with this. What is your biggest question, and maybe it gets answered, but what ultimately what position group or what area is the biggest question for Montana and Montana State? I think for Montana State, I mean, it's, it's going to be the quarterback until they answer that question, mm-hmm. quite frankly. But I think that other than the quarterback, I think that it's the defensive secondary because they do have some solid returners like Tyrell Thomas at corner and Ty Okada at safety. They're going to have to need, they're going to need a lot of, of guys to step up, especially at safety, because I thought I mean, they played three safeties a lot last year. I thought that, that trio was one of the best in the league when you talk about Jacque Allen. Braden Conkle and JoJo Henderson. And uh, so they brought in some transfers at that spot. They brought in uh, Chacho Alua from Arizona, who's a grad transfer. They brought in Jeffrey Manning Jr. from Oregon State, who's a former Pac 12 starter. They also got guys rising through the ranks, like Rylan Ort from Sentinel, uh, who, by all accounts, has had pretty good returns there. But they need, they need their safeties to be good. I, I always, I've, I've said this for years, Anthony. I think that when we do the media polling and we're voting on our teams, Everybody gravitates towards who's got the best returning quarterback. That's one way to vote for sure. But to me, if you went through the last 15 to 20 years in the Big Sky Conference, the most important position group in the Big Sky Conference is safety. If you have a pair of elite safeties, that is the the formula to win the league. Every single team that's had a pair of all-league safeties, whether it was Montana with their great pair like Shan Schillinger and Colt Anderson back in the mid-2000s, or all the way up through uh, some of the great Eastern Washington teams, like with, when they had Matt Johnson, who was a fourth-round draft pick by the Cowboys. If you have those elite safeties, it helps you in the big sky so much because, as we know in this league, sometimes you might be playing Eastern Washington and they're throwing the ball a million times, and sometimes you might be playing Weaver State and they're trying to run down your throat, and sometimes you might be playing Cal Poly and they're running the triple option. No, they're not anymore, but, but the game-to-game turnover – you have to have guys that are diverse in their skill set on the back end. So I do think safety is the answer when you talked about, about Montana State. Uh, and for the Grizz, I think it, it comes down to uh, the offensive line still, although I do think they have a chance to be solid, if not good there. But more than anything, I think it's their quarterback spot because they've been running this smoke and mirrors defense with a ton of pressures, and they blitz a lot. It's this weird three-three-five stack. And I think it confuses teams quite a bit. But also – uh, they were trying to make up for their deficiencies at corner. If they have a couple lockdown guys, and make no mistake, they hit the uh, the transfer wire as hard as anybody in the FCS. So they 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 think they got those guys on the program, 
guys like Justin Ford from Louisville or Omar Hicksonu or Trezon Cobb from Oregon State. They brought in a ton of talent. Uh, now it's just a matter of those guys figuring it out, picking up the scheme, and, and then making the most of it. Because I do think if they could have lockdown players at the cornerback spot, they could be locked down on defense as a whole. Colton Juarez joining us right now on the Whitefish Credit Union Hotline. Check out his show 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN Missoula, as well as his great work on SkylineSportsMT.com as we get ready for some spring college football, whether it be just the practices or a couple of games that Montana has coming up over the course of the next couple of weeks. Colton, really appreciate the time. Always appreciate you jumping on with me and uh, talking Big Sky football as well as college basketball, and look forward to chatting with you again soon, my friend. Hey, appreciate it, Anthony. Thanks for having me.